Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Instead of continuing our series on the book of Romans, if you've downloaded the updated order of worship from the website, you'll see that the text that we'll be looking at is in Luke chapter 10, the familiar story of the Good Samaritan. We'll be looking at verses 25 through verse 37. So hear the word of the Lord. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Father, we ask your blessing on the preaching of your word. We pray that it would speak to us clearly, that it would cut to the heart and counsel us in wisdom. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. One of the first things you observe when you read the story of the Good Samaritan is that this lawyer who's talking to Jesus makes a classic mistake. He makes an error that any trial attorney would uh, recognize in a moment. You should never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. Never ask a question you don't already know the answer to. Not in court and definitely not when you're trying to test Jesus. This is not the way you want to go. You're opening up a door that you cannot shut. But this lawyer in his pride, walks right into it. Now, Luke tells us why he makes the mistake. It's not that he's a bad lawyer. It's that, as Luke says, he is desiring to justify himself. He's got a point to prove. He wants to demonstrate that he is a just, a good person. And when you're trying to justify yourself, 
when you're trying to make sure you're right and that everybody knows it, you stumble every time. And that's what happens. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the commandment. The lawyer knows it from scripture and he repeats it. Jesus says, well done. And the lawyer naturally asks, hold on, but who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? What he's doing here is that classic thing. He's trying to limit his exposure. If we're called upon to love God with everything that we have and also to love our neighbors as ourselves, that seems so demanding that it's really important to know exactly who your neighbor is, exactly what is required of you. If you think about your street, you think about where you live, in a house, in an apartment, whatever, obviously the people right next door on either side, they're clearly your neighbors, right? You have to love those people as yourself. But what about two doors down? Are those your neighbors? What about three doors down? What about if there's a, a, an intersection and suddenly you're in a new block? Are the people in the next block still your neighbors? How far down the street does this obligation to love people as yourself actually extend? Important question. We kind of need to know where the boundaries of this obligation are. How far down the street do we have to keep on caring, in other words? When is it okay to stop caring? That's the lawyer's question, and it's still the question that we find ourselves asking, and for the same reasons. Because like him, we want to justify ourselves. We want to be seen to be doing the right thing, but at the same time, there has to be a limit, There has to be a limit. There's only so much that can be expected of us. And when more is expected of us than seems reasonable, we seek to qualify. Who is my neighbor? What is my neighborhood? Where do my obligations end? This is a platitude, but I'm going to say it anyway. The coronavirus epidemic, pandemic, has demonstrated to us, it's brought home to us, how interconnected we all are. We talk about this all the time, this global community, how interconnected it is. But when we talk about the global community, it's easy, the the parts of the community that are far away, uh, not really to imagine that those connections are real. And it wasn't long ago that here at Grace, we were praying for people in Wuhan, China. And there were connections that we had, people who've come from Wuhan or people who were trapped there at the time that the city was closed down. And yet, as we prayed, we did so with a sense of distance. And our prayer was that those who found themselves far away might rejoin us safely. But now, what was once around the world is here on our doorstep. It's here in Sioux Falls. It's here in our neighborhood. We know people who are on the front lines in dealing with this crisis. We know people who are at much greater risk than the rest of us under these circumstances. If what happens there happens here, we know the neighbors who will be affected. The question that we're facing is, 
How seriously do we need to take this? It's the question that your elders at Grace had to ask ourselves over the course of the past few days, and it wasn't an easy question. Obviously, you don't go from the kind of worship that that we enjoy, the blessings that we enjoy, to this lightly. And so we weighed those options. And and I'll be honest, I started at the let's do nothing and, and just business as usual end of the spectrum. And God brought me to where we are today through the course of that thinking and that evaluating. It was easy for me to start where I started because I'm not at risk, at least not in the categories that are most at risk. From what I'm told in in the media, what I should be worried about are symptoms of, of, of the cold. And I've had colds before. It didn't seem like such a big deal. Because if you're not at risk personally, if you don't feel that sense of risk, then these concerns are easy to dismiss. The mayor of Sioux Falls this week declared a state of emergency. But if you drove through downtown Sioux Falls last night, you saw the streets packed with St. Patrick's Day revelers. And they were not observing the six feet of social distancing, as far as I could tell. But you know what else they had in common? They were all really young, carefree, not at risk, having a good time. That's the way it usually is in circumstances like this. The strong feel untouchable. The strong feel invincible. And our natural inclination is to say it's up to the weak to fend for themselves. The strong can go about business as usual, and the weak can stay at home. The circumstances that we're facing are certainly new and unprecedented, but the questions that they raise are not new. They're the same questions that human beings have faced from the beginning. You might think of it this way. The question we're facing now is this. Will the weak matter to the strong? Will the weak matter to the strong? And if so, how much? Where can we draw the line? Will the weak matter to the strong? They will, if they're your neighbors. So the question you ask is, okay, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you a little story. And he tells the story of the good Samaritan. And that story teaches us something about the bonds of neighborhood and what forms them. Right, The priest and the Levite both step over the man and keep going, which teaches us some things about loving your neighbor. It teaches us that the bond of neighborhood is not created by kinship, for one thing. Family, blood, is not what creates the bond of neighborhood. In his weakness, his fellow Israelites ignored him. In his weakness, the strong stepped over him and kept going. It was up to a foreigner to show compassion. The bond of neighborhood is not created by kinship. Maybe it should be, 
Maybe the world should work differently, but in a fallen world, that's not what does it. Also, the bond of neighborhood is not created by duty. It is not created by duty. The men whose office should have prompted them to help ignored him. Their comfort mattered more to them than their obligation. We're constantly running into this reality where those who have a duty, who have a responsibility and obligation in times of crisis, don't act according to that duty. They act according to self-interest. Again, I wish it weren't that way. But in a fallen world, the bond of neighborhood is not created by duty alone. So love your neighbor, if it's going to mean anything, has to mean more than just love your family or sacrifice for those you have a pre-existing responsibility for. The story of the Good Samaritan teaches us that the bond of neighborhood is created by something else. The bond of neighborhood is forged by the decision to help, regardless of kinship or duty or responsibility. What makes the Samaritan a neighbor, a man who loves his neighbor, is his decision to help regardless of the fact that he has no obligation to this man and there is no kinship between them that should prompt him to care. Before he could even be a neighbor, the Samaritan had to be willing to go out of his way. He had to be willing to make a sacrifice. But more fundamentally than that, before he could be a neighbor, the Samaritan had to start by seeing the weak as worthy. He had to see the weak, the suffering, the beaten, the disadvantaged as worthy of his sacrifice. And the only way to do that is to see the weak, to see others not as men see them, but as Christ does. Just as an aside, if you ever thought about this, when we use this word Samaritan, when we say that someone is a Samaritan or a good Samaritan, what we mean is they're, they're a do-gooder. They're one of those people that's always helping out. They're always uh, putting themselves, as it were, in harm's way in order to make a difference in the lives of others. He's a good Samaritan. But, but that's not actually what Samaritan means. The word Samaritan means person from Samaria. So literally, at the time that Jesus is, is talking uh, Everybody who lives in Samaria is a Samaritan. That's just the nature of of growing up there, being there. And as you know, Samaritans weren't exactly respected by the Israelites. There was a lot of bad blood between them. So that for a lot of people, I'm sure, hearing this story of the good Samaritan, they're thinking, well, at least there's one. Because most of them I have no time for. But imagine... Being the Samaritan who shows mercy in such a way that the word that used to be used to describe people from where you're from becomes a synonym for mercy. Imagine doing something as a Samaritan that makes your national identity a byword for mercy. What an astonishing act that would be 
when people single you out when you travel. If you travel abroad, um, they say, "Mm, he's a good American. They don't mean (laughs) what people mean when they say good Samaritan. Imagine doing something so remarkable that American became a synonym for mercy. It's kind of hard to believe. What would you have to do in order for that to happen? Well, now the story should turn in our minds as we reflect on on what it takes to do such a thing. Because actually Jesus made a sacrifice that turned the name of his people into a synonym for mercy. Christian, Christian, the people who follow his name, who call upon his name, who follow after him, Jesus made a sacrifice that has made the name of his people a byword for mercy. Jesus is the neighbor who showed him mercy, right? That's what a neighbor is. In this story, the definition of being a neighbor is to show mercy. The neighbor is the one who showed mercy. That's who Jesus is, the one who showed mercy. A neighbor is the one who can say, as the Samaritan does, take care of him, and I will repay you when I come back. And that's a great summary for the words of Christ to us the charge that he's given to us in this world. Take care of them. Take care of them. And I will repay you when I come back. To love your neighbor as yourself is to love others as Jesus loves. In other words, self-sacrificially. The Samaritan is a good Samaritan because he shows mercy. And he shows mercy as a model of Christ-like self-sacrifice. His regard is not for his own comfort, not for his own well-being, not for his bank balance, not for his convenience, but he sees the weak as Christ does and treats them as Christ would. As I said earlier, not long ago, we were surrounded by people talking about, uh, what will you give up for Lent? What are you going to to give up for Lent? Now you don't have to choose. God has chosen for us, and it feels like the answer is everything. You'll give up everything during this season. You will give up things you never imagined giving up. You will sacrifice during this season. The question is, what will you give up for your neighbor? How will you love the weak? The reason why we're doing this is a little different than what you might imagine. As I tried to explain in the letter that I sent out, um, the reason that we're not holding physical services isn't just that we're concerned that if you come into this place and someone happens to uh, be infected with the virus that you might get sick, which would lead you to think, well, I'm, I'm probably not likely to get sick. I should just go ahead and go. It's not a concern for ourselves, in other words, that's motivated this. Rather, we're thinking of the people down the street. We're thinking about the people we can't see, the people far away from us. And we're sacrificing. We're giving up something that means everything to us 
in the hope that it might make a difference for them. This is one of the ways we're trying to love the weak. Right now, there have been no new cases of COVID-19 diagnosed in Sioux Falls since March the 11th, the last information that I had. It's possible that by taking the extreme measures that you see people taking around you, that the worst of what's been experienced elsewhere might be avoided. And we will look back at the sacrifices that we made and think to ourselves, was that even necessary? Nothing happened. Everything was fine. If that happens, I want you to remember that that was always the hope. Our prayer is that we will look back on this and it will seem like it was an overreaction, that it wasn't necessary. But we don't want to look back and think to ourselves, we should have done more. We should have been willing to sacrifice more. We should have acted sooner. In the days ahead, things will get more serious, not less. You will endure more and you will sacrifice more. Remember that your hope is in Christ, not in health. Remember that you have life in Christ that disease and death cannot take away. And when you're tempted to put yourself first, you're tempted to trust in your own strength and forget the weak, remember what Jesus has done for you. As you face decisions, as you struggle to navigate through the uncertainties in the week ahead, you're going to be asking yourself in one way or another, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? How much do I have to care? And when you find yourself doing that, remember the way Jesus answers that question. And then remember what he says to those who hear. You go and do likewise. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.